All right, we're back for another episode of Behind the Vinyl. Um, this time we're joined by Nicholas, as is every week. Of course. And um, we got John from Baroness. Hey, how you guys doing? Very Pretty good. good. Thanks for your time. Yeah, of course. So uh, just for all the people listening out there, um, we, uh, we actually didn't have a record pre-planned for this. And, um, <laughs> and when we just met up with John just now, we kind of said, hey, we uh we picked a record for you and and he was oh shit which one did you do <laughs> and i said well okay we picked nirvana and he was like correct me if i'm wrong you're like perfect that's exactly the one i was thinking yeah, of yeah about 10 minutes prior to that conversation i was what we were in the mall next to this uh, mega arena thing that we're playing at and i was telling i was actually telling gina that i had to i was i i had missed this text where i had to i knew i had to choose one but i Sort of, I sort of been sick for a couple of days, and it just occurred to me earlier this afternoon that I had to pick something, and I was like, "Well, that that'll be the one. <laughs> They'll be, we'll be able to. We'll just, I'll just show up and I'll say that, and yeah. we'll have to. Everybody will have to respond." So that was that was pretty That's perfect. Synchronicitous. Out yeah. of all the records we possibly could have chosen. Uh, true. And I thought true. I thought I was choosing that because it was a little. It'd be a little different. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Well, it is a little different because um, we get a lot of the the Zeppelins and the Black Sabbath and the yeah, Zeppelin sure. and all yeah. that. Yeah, and that's so what I, I sort of I was sort of like I don't think I can I don't think I can speak as fluidly about Zeppelin right. Sabbath yeah. as probably the hundred thousand people who have you know spoken about those records before me. Not right. I'm not a fan. I mean those those are those are absolutely classic records. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Well, let's start off the show. We're going to play um, Smells Like Teen Spirit, the first uh, single from it, um, a single which actually had um, Burton C. Bell from Fear Factory in the video. Oh, did you oh know really? That? No, I did not know that. Yeah, he was one of the kids in the stand. You know, it's it's inside the gym with the oh, uh, yeah, yeah. the satanic cheerleaders and sure. all that, and, and they all kind of start moshing. Yeah, cool. Burton C. Bell was one of them. I've seen the ad for the, uh, the video uh, for, recording. Asking people to come down. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's pretty fun. Yeah. So let's play that, and then we'll come back and we'll dig into this record. So we're back, and we got John from Baroness here. Um, Nirvana, nineteen ninety one, September twenty fourth. When did you uh, when did you pick up on this record? Uh, you'd have to check the date, but I the 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 moment that like my I, w- I would call it my the biggest light bulb moment I've I've had in music. Oh, was the day that I rode my bike home from school. Uh, I was I was living in. Um, Southwestern Virginia, which is up, you know, up in the up in the mountains, very mm. rural community in, uh, in in southwestern Virginia, uh, in in the U.S. And I, as I would do every day, I'd ride my bike home from school and just throw MTV straight on. That was that was my that was the only music input that I had. I didn't have kids. I didn't have friends with like older brothers that had cool music taste. I didn't know anybody that listened to music. I, I was like very. I, I don't even think at that point I had like a whole lot of friends. I just, but I definitely had MTV. And I came home, opened you know, opened the door, and I watched the video premiere uh, in the U.S. Uh, MTV video premiere, Smells Like Teen Spirit, and I, I think suffice it to say, I was pretty much a goner from <laughs> from then on. I mean, honestly, like that was it. That yeah. was the moment that I realized I was going to play music. All right, mm-hmm. that's it. nice. That the, the video. I'm just looking at the uh, the fact sheet here. The video was actually released before the record as well. 
It was. Yeah, yeah. yeah literally a couple of days, 14 days, two weeks before the record. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So that was that was the changing point. What what um you hadn't played guitar? Did you have a guitar by then? No, I did I did have a car a guitar. But like um when I was when I was young, I was always like a I guess a very creative child. Yeah. And my parents were very actively uh enthusiastic about the about about my creative pursuits and so uh my, you know, my parents had more of more of a more comprehension with uh the visual arts which which i was uh already engaged in at that point but i think when i was like six or seven they realized that they realized i was like determined to watch mtv regardless of how many times i was forbidden to watch it regardless of all the, you know because my, my mother thought it objectified women and I, I mean i think we can all agree now like of course it did in the 80s but, did, but, yes. but i knew but you know i think even at a young age i kind of understood that that was you know i understood what was going on there i just mm. like you know for me it was music it was all about music oh yeah and so she, she realized she you know when i was six or seven that she couldn't prevent me from watching mtv so she went to, you know, I'm just take a, tell a quick story here, but she went to a yard sale or something and um, got me an acoustic guitar. It probably, I promise you didn't cost her more than $10 because I know how she is with that kind of stuff. And it had, <laughs> it, had it had three strings on it and they weren't even together. You know, right. It was like three random strings <laughs> and they gave me this guitar. They didn't know, they, my parents didn't know how to play music. So they didn't, they didn't understand what they were giving me. And right. I certainly didn't understand what that, what I'd been given. Right. But their thought process was that if I still was playing with this incredibly screwed up piece of wood, uh, you know, a year later, that maybe maybe they would, you know, maybe maybe it was something I was interested in. So I, I of course I and of course I did my best with the three strings and the guitar. Right. And I didn't know what I honestly didn't know what the hell I was doing, and I think it probably drove them crazy to the point where they, you know, I think I think it was eight or nine or something. They I got like a you know a cherry red Ibanez pointy shreddy guitar and I had no idea what to do with that either and I'm kind of like one of those people like I, I I refuse advice I refuse instruction because I'm you know I'm just kind of like hardwired for more of the like punk rock like mm. fuck you you don't tell me what to do kind of thing so again back to MTV that was how I learned how to that was how I learned how to play music was by playing along with videos because you remember MTV in the 90s or in the late 80s and the 90s there's like 10 popular videos and they just played yep. them over and over and over again. And, it, you know, as a rudimentary player, and I'd probably taken a, a handful of lessons before giving up on it, I knew at least how to, I just had an ear for like finding the basics of what, what I was listening to and watching on, on MTV. And um, so I had a guitar and I knew enough about the guitar itself to know that I wasn't very good at it. However, when I watched the video, I learned that I could be a musician i learned that you didn't have to be every other guitar player right. on the planet right you know yeah. all like and what you know what i saw kurt doing what i heard in that just that that first time i even saw the video and heard the song for the first time i realized this is simple this is effective this is brilliant this is what i want to do i want to make noise like that cool and you know within three years me and everybody that i knew could play the entire Nirvana back catalog. We couldn't play anything else, but we could play Nirvana. <laughs> well, it was, I mean, would you, is Kurt Cobain, is he considered uh, a good guitar player? Or? I, it, it, the, way that, the way that I understand music now, you know, having played mm. professionally for 20 years or whatever, the way I understand it now is he's not, a, he's, he's, a, he's brilliant. Mm. Like, if only 
we anybody else could channel that kind of energy and enthusiasm and attitude in a, in a guitar solo today. If only a, it this like choose any solo from that record. If you heard that in a song today on the radio, you'd do backflips mm-hmm. because it's a, it's because they're amazing. They're amazingly well executed solos. The rhythm's great. The melody's great. The, they're they're as free as it gets. They're sort of noisy. It sort of doesn't make sense the mm. first time you hear it. You 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 kind of mistake it for being sloppy. Yeah. But what it is is it, it's 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 a very pure. It's a very pure, very passionate, very very genuine solo. Cool. And so I so I do think, aside from the you know the sort of maybe self aware looseness that that you hear on, on, you know in, in Nirvana songs, I think. If you listen, if you listen for tightness, you're going to hear one of the one one of the great rhythm players, and as well as one of the great like guitar soloists of of that era. I mean, hands down, you can sing the solos. You know, that's that's for right. me. That's always an important thing. Can you can you you can you feel the next note before it happens? Yeah. Yes, you can because you you know when you've heard when you identify with the music like that, you can you you hear how how just how beautiful and gorgeous those sloppy chaotic things are they're 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 it's really genius i i i truly believe that i mean i've heard a lot of sloppy guitar players go for it you know air quotes uh but to stick it so consistently and i've seen him play live a number of times and i think it's i think any calling him anything short of a genius as a guitar player would be would be a disservice cool because i remember uh in bloom Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a solo that kind of stands out for me because I mean the first time I heard it and still when I listen today and I'm not a guitar player and I'm not a musician but that just sounded like it was the way it starts off like it's like out of tune and just yes. really really weird yeah. but it you know it really gets to you in a way I don't know what yeah, it is because, because, there is, because regardless of the technical fluidity the 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 rhythm the in then like natural rhythm yeah. there is really startling yeah. it's really complex yeah. it's really yeah. it's really effortlessly you know it's 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 that complexity that comes f- just from you know pure expression it's it's effortless but it is unreplicatable right like you could you you can't just plug in turn on and hope that something like that comes out that's it you know i think we could i think i could try my entire life i could search for Recreating a solo like that, and I would wouldn't be able to get to it once. Right. You know? I think I th- really think it's, uh, you know, as in the in the annals of uh, you know great guitar players in history, I I think it will be a, sh- a shame if you know Kurt Cobain's l- name is left off that list because he as a guitar player he is f- absolutely fantastic. Cool. Which it is often, you know, you'll never see him really yeah. in a guitar no. world. No. Yeah, it's always your. Um, yeah, yeah, Steve, and and no discredit to these. You're Eddie Van Halen, yeah. just Steve Vai. Yeah, 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 but it's and and another person that's like that is um, Johnny Ramone. Yeah, is or, or John Frusciante. Like these, oh, John these guys are all, absolutely. These guys are all incredible. I mean, the the their contribution to guitar playing, mm. yeah. not just to music, but to but to like their contribution to guitar players and mm. especially young budding guitar players. It's it's it's. Uh, you know, it's 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 hard to estimate that value and that worth because yeah. when you're 12 years old and you hear Eddie Van Halen, you can't get there. <laughs> it takes work. That's. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. I I think the same. I, th- I mean, I think of course he's he's an inc- he's one of the greats, yeah. no doubt. But that's sort of like artistry plus craftsmanship plus technique. Whereas I think when we're talking about the Ramones, when we're talking about Nirvana, when we're talking about Sonic Youth, when you're talking about Jay Maskus, Dinosaur Jr., Kurt Cobain, these type of players, or, or King Buzzo, 
the technique isn't it's it's not really important you no. know what's what's important is that there's something something startling and 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 totally you know uh full of energy and full of life and something that you you know you want to hear it again that's a, that's the thing is you, yeah. you you listen to any of these songs by any of these guys and you want to hear them playing again mm. even even if it it seems it seems rough it seems yeah. sloppy yeah but I've seen rough and sloppy, man. I've seen, you know, I've seen open mic nights, and that, <laughs> yeah. that's not Nirvana. Nirvana wasn't open, but that's, you know, it's 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 just unconventional. I yeah. think, and yeah. people, we we like to think of unconventional guitar playing as kind of loose and sloppy. But I, again, when you when you're at that age, when when young musicians are at that age where they're where they don't even know they're musicians yet, it's these guys who have the big, you know, who have the greatest impact, or like an Iomi or something mm, like that, mm, you know. Mm, mm. Of course, there's the really tricky Iomi stuff, but the riffs, the Black Sabbath riffs, it's this what everybody's everybody learns them first. Everybody learns sure. Ramon songs and Sabbath sure. songs first because they're easy to play. Sure, but you, it's not; they're just simple. Yeah, they're not easy to write. No, you know, write write the greatest riff of all time in four chords. Yeah, I don't know if I can. You know, I'm not that kind of player. <laughs> but these guys were like. You know they they could they don't need more than four power chords and they've written the riff that endures that mm. lasts forever. Mm. Yep. Mm. Love it. Hey, let's play another song. Um, we're gonna come with uh, "Come As You Are," which I think is the second single, right? I think so. Yeah. And then we'll yeah we'll come back and we'll continue talking. <laughs> Yes. How many times? Uh, wait. It may have just been once. It may have been once, but it was the, for the 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 only time that I saw Nirvana was the most important concert that I ever saw. It was the second show, second concert that I ever saw. Right. The first was I saw Sonic Youth and the Boredoms and Superchunk uh, in Richmond, Virginia, and that was a game changer for me as well. Of Th course, that was your first ever. Concert. That was my first ever concert. Okay, that's a this, pretty intense. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. And the funny thing was, two weeks before that, I had an opportunity to see a show, and my parents wouldn't let me go. And it was, um, oh god, now I'm slipping on the name. The Jeremiah was a bullfrog. That band. Uh, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Whatever, okay. that, whatever that band was. <laughs> and my parents wouldn't let me go to that, but they let me go see Sonic Youth and Superchunk. Wow. And the Boredoms on an island in the middle of the James River in Richmond, Virginia. So go figure, but thank you, thank you, mom and dad, for not letting you know for not influencing me like that. So uh, uh, it, I, it must have been in '91 right. wow. when I saw Nirvana. Wow! It, or it was '91 or '92. They weren't the biggest band on the planet yet, but they were very, very close to that switch having right. been flipped. Mm. So they were doing a college tour. All right. In the states, meaning gymnasiums. Yeah. So yeah, two thousand, maybe. Right. The gym I saw them in wasn't quite full, uh, and so you know, so uh, again, I, I grew up in a very rural part of uh, the the U.S. and we didn't get shows. There were no sh there was no shows other than what was playing at the college in, in mm. my hometown. But about two and a half hours away from me in a, a town called Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, Nirvana was booked and uh, you know we saw like trust me like next day I went to school I told all my friends about it and for anybody who hadn't seen the Smells Like Teen Spirit video was hip to it within 24-48 hours I mean they were yeah. all immediate fans 
because that, that's the kind of music that spoke to us, you know, like this sort of disaffected youth living in a redneck town and, yeah. and feeling at, at odds with everybody. So my, uh, I was, I had a, a friend whose, whose father was a guitar player uh, who was probably the only guy who I ever took lessons from that was worth a damn. Uh, and his, his mother, uh, so my friend's mother and my friend and, and one, one more friend, the first three guys I ever played music with, um, we were, I, we're probably 13 or 14 or 12 or something. We were super young. And uh, his mother asked if we wanted to go see Nirvana at this college, you know, a couple hours away. And we we're like, yes, of course. It was the, this was like the biggest deal at the time. And thinking back about it, it still is pretty much the biggest, you know, musical deal of my life. So we get, you know, it's middle of winter. We get, we get in this car, we drive through these freezing mountains to this show. And like, I don't even, I won't even talk about the show because the show was, the show was just like mind blowing for mm -hmm. me. I hadn't seen anything, so it was it was the first yeah. like full or the second fully immersive experience that I had with music, right. yeah. and it it set me on a path. Right, so we get out of the show, and we we were just you know our heads were like it just exploded. We'd never seen anything like this. We'd never seen anything. You know, we go out to the car, and it's like we're just drenched in sweat, freezing cold, like shivering. We get in this, we get in the car, and our friend's mom's like. Uh, you know, how was it? We're just like, oh my god, oh my god, this is the most fun thing ever. She said, she's like, what well, did you guys get to do everything you wanted to do? And I was like, the only thing that would have been cooler is if we got to meet the band. And she was like, you know, her husband's a musician, so she's, she was like, you want to meet, you want, you want to meet them? And we we're like, we we're like, yeah, but we don't. How are we going to meet them? We're teen, we're young teenagers. And she's like, well, if you want to meet them, there's the back door, there's their bus. They gotta, they have to walk that fifty yards. <laughs> yeah to get onto that vehicle. If you wait at that door, you will see them. And we were like, oh my God, for real? She's like, yeah, I don't know how long. Can't tell, I can't tell you anything other than they have to get from point A to point B. If you intercept them, you will meet the band. So we went, we, we as three extremely young, sweaty, frozen children got out of the car and went to the door and waited for, I don't know, 20 minutes. I, I swear to God, I had hypothermia the whole time because it was, it was in the, it was in the middle of the mountains yeah. in the middle of the winter. And, Lo and behold, the door opens and all the, all three of them came out. Oh. Dave Grohl, Chris Novoselic, Kurt Cobain wow. came out of that door, and were intercepted by our three skinny, frozen little teenage asses. And what happened then was the was probably the most important thing that ever happened to me as a future touring musician, which was they stopped and they talked to us for an hour. Wow, we spent an hour in the presence of our hero are absolute like true blue heroes at the time there's not another band that could have that was more important to the to me and my two friends and to have those three guys talk to us for an hour not as you know 20 something year olds and teenagers but mm. just as six guys who got picked on when they were teenagers all of us had that in common we all we all dealt with rednecks and idiots when we were young mm. uh, it was just a little fresher and closer to us at that sure, point sure uh, but we, you know, we talked about that. We talked about. We didn't talk about music. We just talked about like our situations, and walking away from that, I learned the mo one of the most critical things that I that I was ever to learn as a musician, which is you treat your fans like you treat your friends, and you always take the time, if you've got it, to speak openly and honestly to them, and you share whatever you've got. You just you had you know that was the first that was the first big experience that i had and it immediately broke down the barrier between audience and artist 
and there was no there were no boundaries there were no lines there they didn't act like they were more important than us and ever since that day it has been an ex- like expressly my mission in music to make sure that our audience understands that we won't fall prey to that sort of uh, you know cult of celebrity right no matter what happens i mean it does it does get complex as as your band becomes popular but you take the fucking time yeah. because these are the people the that the the people that you know that me at 12 is the t- sort of person that keeps me at 40 passionate and engaged and you know frankly just you know surviving on the road so mm. i've never forgotten that lesson it is it is quite simply the most important lesson that i ever learned killer that's, story that, that's a great story <laughs> yeah absolutely i love it cuz i think we've all done similar things but to oh sure yeah, such an impact sure you know? yeah and to have it be like the it was the fir- it was like the first experience that i had so then you yeah. you know you get older and everybody goes oh don't you mean don't meet your heroes and blah 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 and trust me i've had my fair share of experiences with that that prove that like oh god you, there's some people you don't want to meet yeah but the fact is there that it that's not you know that's not the rule the the, the thing is hey, there's all sorts of people out there yeah i want to be on the side of the good the good team i want to be right. on the side of this team that inspires younger generations like right. if we can do that oh my god like in the same way then you know then then i can die a happy guy you know but uh you know it was it was incredible and i and i i literally never forget that i mean on those nights where i'm just kind of like tired and we're walking out of a show and there's somebody there that's waiting that wants to talk and you know, maybe I could just be a dick to this guy just to get because I'm tired and I, I want to yeah. sleep. I want to sit down, but you take the time, man, because it's never you never regret talking to your audience and the people that allow you to pursue your right. passion in life. Yeah. You know, we we had a, a similar story about Ronnie Dio, where Ronnie Dio said right, to yeah. to uh, a younger band, you know, whatever you do, give them the time because yeah. for you. There's someone else there tomorrow and the next day, yeah. mm. but for that person, you're the most important person for them. Yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah. If you if you have a healthy respect for that uh, that fact, yeah, then you're you you as an artist and you, or you as an audience member mm. are more connected in a more tangible way, and the the likelihood that you and that per, you and your audience are going to grow together. Yeah. Uh, is is it's just much it's much higher and it's it's not even about that it's it's really about the fact that we, you know look we all come from humble beginnings no matter mm. what you yeah. know mm. every one of us has grinded it out for years and years and years some of us get lucky early some of us get some of us never get lucky yeah. but the fact is we're sort of all in this together you know if yeah. you're in the music scene whether you're paying for tickets you're buying records or you're making them you're part of it it is a yeah. big it is a big community and you know the whole thing topples as soon as that relationship he dissolves, you know. Yep. Nice. Sonic Youth. Yes. So I, I, I listened to an interview with um, Gary Gersh, who signed them to Geffen Records. Whoa. And uh, he was turned on to Nirvana by uh, Thurston Moore. Yep. Around the time when I think he said that they were recording Bleach, 
or something like that. And then he went to see him in uh, Olympia in sure. Washington. And he said it was a small place. And Kurt and the drummer back then got into a serious fist fight on stage. <laughs> and the drummer left, never came back. And then um, Kurt and Chris got up on stage and, and played the show. And that was the first time we saw him. And he just felt like this is something going on here. Yeah. This, this yeah. is a cool thing. Yeah. That's pretty cool. No, so, there's there's the the lore of the you know the the yeah. stories around the the like the rise of Nirvana. Yeah. They're, they're so interesting to me because all this stuff happened kind of you know at the, at the point where they were like almost like a punk band, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. But there were you know everybody every story that you hear about somebody that ran into them or knew Kurt at the, around that time period is just like had that feeling, yeah, you know, had that sense that oh, yeah. something important was happening, oh, yeah. and you can hear it. You know, you can hear it. I think Nirvana, like Nevermind, is such a, it's such a brilliant record. I mean, it's so it's I love the production. I know he, I know Kurt was always like against it, P but I think the production right. Yeah, uh, it's, oh yeah. It's, it's the best of the Butch Vig productions for me. Right. they're not all good, but that one's that one's perfect. Yeah. However, when you you know when you in since the record's been out so long, you know you so every once in a while you hear like the isolated vocal tracks, or you hear just you mm. know isolated guitar tracks or something. It's so clear how beautiful he was as a as a performer and mm. as an artist and as a mm. songwriter when you take away like the stuff that is there to just lift it up you know the production styles that make it seem even bigger but yeah. when you hear the like the grit behind it it's it's like yeah how could you not be in the room with that and right. un, and know that this is this is the future of music yeah yep. yeah just go back to your story a little bit um you know baroness you've been around for quite a while now uh dave grohl has since gone on perform Foo Fighters I could see Dave Grohl being a Baroness fan have you guys ever crossed paths have you ever told him that story you know you know the weirdest thing is like and I've, I've almost met everybody at this point but I've <laughs> never met Dave oh really no I know I've, I've we've we've shared I, mean, I, wanna, I wanna say we shared the stage that sounds uh, I don't wanna yeah. I don't wanna mislead anybody there <laughs> we've played festivals together you know, right we've yeah. been on the we played this on similar days and I've I've been in backstages that I'm positive he's at you know for instance a couple of years ago we were playing uh rock uh rock and ring mm. they were headlining we were playing the you know the metal stage that day so i know he was there you know and it's it's a little it's it's kind of surprising to me because you know on a long enough timeline you, you're gonna meet everybody yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it is a little surprising to me that we haven't like crossed paths yeah but, uh, you know I would I would definitely share that story because I think I think it's a I think it's a beautiful story. It is, and I'm it sure is. you know the thing is I don't think it was just me. I'm sure they, I'm sure this was like you know at that point in, for them like they seemed, they seemed young but they seemed enthusiastic and they seemed confident. I think yeah. they were probably like that every night. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Like they were they were wonderful guys. It wasn't it didn't like again it didn't seem forced. It was just this. Oh, of course, here you are, and you're you're going to talk to us, and yep. and there we go, and we left, and it was kind of like what you know, we were in shell shock for three hours after that, <laughs> yeah, till we got home, and we and you know, it was it was it was such an amazing experience. I'm I'm sh I'm not sure that he would remember that particular night, uh, but I'm sure that I'm sure that you know he remembers that era of the band oh sure when sure. they were playing college gymnasiums yeah. before it was yeah you know before Reading and yeah. you know all those huge shows for oh them. yeah. Well, that was a cool thing, again, with, with Gary Gersh, that he said that, because <clears throat> Geffen, they signed them, and, and, and Gary Gersh knew that a, with Nevermind, they, they had something, and something was brewing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he also talked in his interview that they had a meeting uh, with the Geffen honchos, and, and somebody said, 
uh, well, we're going to ship uh, 30,000 albums. Sure. And, and that's, that's going to be it. Yeah. And then Gary Gersh said, well, I want to bet $1,000 that we're going to pass 30,000. And uh, two other guys, a guy named Rosenblatt and some other guys said, okay, sure, yeah, yeah. you're on. And then he got it. I think the album was released on a Tuesday. And on a Sunday, he got a call, and he kind of he said he kind of forgotten about it, and the the week passed on, and so on. And someone called him and said, uh, "You know, we've just surpassed four hundred thousand units." Yeah, I mean, there was a minute where there, <laughs> there was like three hundred thousand a week. Yeah, or something. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, but I don't think at that I don't think at that point in time I don't think there was a precedent set, or there hadn't been a precedent set in recent years, where a, an underground band had. Popped up, popped their head up, and reached the the disaffected youth of the world. Right, that hadn't happened since the no. first or second wave of punk or something yeah. like yeah, that. True, uh, where where it had really like it wasn't just like arty kids who got got the Pixies references, and it wasn't you know it was like middle America. Yeah, it was kids. It was, it was kids that I, kids that I went to high school with and middle school with who. You know, who came from agricultural backgrounds, mm. they got it mm. just as much as everybody else. So, mm. you know, in metropolitan areas, kids got it. In you know, in the in, deep in the country, kids got it. Every it, every it seemed to get everybody. Yeah. And and well, you know, I know like our drummer Sebastian, who's a couple years old. You know, he's a few years older than me. Like I remember, he he tells a story because he remembers when the record came out, and he was too old for it. And he was like, ah, it's too <laughs> cool for that. But I think that's the point. Is like, it wasn't really cool for a 16 year old who understood their like who knew the melvins mm. it wasn't cool for that kid to like the nirvana right it was cool for 12 year olds yeah and 13 yeah. year olds who'd never heard lyrics that honest and that abstract who'd yeah. never heard guitars played like that who never heard drums you know banged that hard in it and so because they're pop songs yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> the thing is look i'm not i don't want to like i'm not trying to pull a punch man i like pop music yeah but I like it when it's got balls and grit, you know, uh, and that to me that was it was perfect, you know, because you could sing, you could sing the choruses. You didn't even know what the fuck they were singing about. That was for us to like think about. That was that was a beauty of Nirvana. Was like yeah, repeated listens gave you further insight and further yeah. insight. And I, you know, it's it's still a gift that keeps on giving. I still listen to that record. And I'm like, how the hell did that happen? You know, <laughs> how does a song written with this few chords, yeah. with this much complexity and depth yeah you know the fact is like they didn't know they were doing it they no. just writing music you know? <laughs> and that's the best of us that's that's what we're going for we're just trying to write music you know yeah. we're trying to use the, all the skills that we've accumulated to just write a good song yeah right? and they just had it you know yeah on every track on the damn record <laughs> here's a quote i i pulled that you you said um i learned how to play every nirvana song when i was a teenager this wasn't our parents music it it wasn't square it wasn't lame but it was kind of poppy. All of these songs were fantastically written. The chord progression, the phrasing, the lyrics, the sound, the vibe, the energy. It's incredible and is still one of my favorites. Any Baroness tendencies towards melody and catchy sing-along lyrics come from this era of my life. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And he, like, here's, here's the situation for us growing up, right? Like we were, me and my friends were troublemakers. Even from a young age, we were, we were getting in trouble and we were getting in lots of it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it got serious. It got serious. And, you know, and the only thing that 
my mother likes to say the only she loved the fact that I was in in my basement playing Nirvana songs and just making awful racket because she knew where I was. Yeah, right. You know, she knew where I was. She knew I was doing something something mildly creative, yeah. totally antagonistic and like not her thing, but she knew where I was. So she encouraged that to happen. But you know, we as as a bunch of like untrained, untechnical kids who we just wanted to make noise and just we just because we saw Nirvana we're like you don't need to train you don't no. the idea of like having lessons was like a completely foreign thing yeah. uh, I think that's something that's lost in this era and I won't man, we don't need to talk about that but the fact was there was like seven kids in my whole county that that or you know 12 kids that liked Nirvana there initially and we all wanted to play music mm-hmm. but none of us were good enough to play everything so the so for there was a couple core players like me and and the you know honestly there's like these two other guys and then you know i think pete who was our guitar player for a long time he he was a little bit younger but he was involved in this as well and the four or five of us that were really dedicated we learned the bass lines the guitar the lyrics the drum we could all play each song on each instrument so that when our other friends came over all they had to know is one part and so we would just switch you know like we would you know depending on who was there we just keep trading off instruments because you know, because the, the overall limited uh, comprehension of these songs, you know, maybe like, you know, my sister knew the bass to uh, Lithium and uh, my friend Brian knew the drums to, you know, Come As You Are or, mm. or uh, you know, or Floyd the Barber or something like that. So we would just, you know, those of us who knew all the songs would just kind of switch, would just fill in the blanks, fill in the blank spaces so that everybody could be involved. And that, that way, not only were we staying out of trouble, which later in later years became much harder to do because we figured out a way to play music in the afternoon then you get in trouble at night, right? But we're too young to go out at night. So, yeah. so we're, you know, we're staying out of trouble, but we're also, you know, we're also being creative and we're socializing because mm. it was a thing where everybody was invited to, you know, come over and just, yeah. you know, just kind of let it all out. And, I, and, it, and it, was, it was very much through their music. I mean, we, we messed around with some minor threat songs. We messed around with, we figured out how to play some of the Sonic Youth stuff and the alternate tunings or, uh, you know, some, like, it was a little bit of hardcore, mm. or, you know, a little bit of punk, a little, yeah. little bit of, like, you know, what was grunge at the time. And, but it was only, it was always around, like, uh, every Nirvana song. I mean, right. the Side came out and we just learned all their beat sides, you know? Um, and so, so it was like, for me, as you know, as a, as a kid, it was, it was also just an important, the important way that I, learn to communicate with my friends mm. i mean it was the best times i ever had as a as a teenager were spent in uh you know this little practice room in my basement playing those songs those were the best times i've ever had <laughs> nice one baby to another says i'm lucky said that his aim for Nevermind uh, was to sound like the Knack and the Bay City Rollers getting molested by Black Flag and Black Sabbath. Which I think is, a, I think that, you know what, that's always sounded to me like something that you think, of, you get to think about it for a while. Yeah. You get to put together a, a group of cool bands. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like, it smells like Teen Spirit. It's Boston. Right. Yeah, it's right. Boston. Right. It's more than a feeling. Okay, like. yeah. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The rest of it's like, pixies yeah oh yeah and you know and but but like 
you could every once in a while you just hear some pop song that it's like sure. obviously in there. Yeah. But you but it's immediately from you know in my life it immediately was better than that pop right. song. Yeah, that yeah, it was yeah, yeah. Based on yeah uh, because it took it a step further. Mm. I I get that. I'm sure that in I'm sure that in a, in a sense that was true. But I think you know like all musicians they just I think that Kurt had this really wonderful uh, attitude on writing music which was. And, you know, I, and we and this is what I say. I, th- I think we dress it up with like a million different reasoning, but mm. he wanted to write pop music. Yeah, mm. he just was a raw musician. Yeah, you know, there's a rawness to it. Yeah, I think but it's okay to be raw to and write pop music. Like, wh- why wouldn't you do that? I mean, right. I think that's a 2019 way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but think that him as a person is raw. You know, his upbringing yeah. is raw. Yeah. Oh yeah. His oh, family yeah. life is raw. Yep. So that added with that pop influence. Yeah, that. yeah, and that's you know that that was the thing I think that we all responded to is because we all, we all had raw lives and yeah. we all, and it seemed disingenuous that we would try to do anything other than channel that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, clearly I came up at the right time for that though, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think there was there was always this like sort of discussion about selling out and being too commercial and blah blah right. blah. blah. Yeah that discussion does is it's irrelevant in this era of music so so it's easy to look back on it and and just uh, we were kids or whatever yeah but i think that was an important part of it was we had to stand against something in order to stand for Mm. something else Mm -hmm. uh but it's only in recent years that i've realized that i always you know the thing about nirvana that was the best was it was catchy you know i mean the thing about minor threat that was great was it was catchy yeah catchy you know it's not there's you know listen like listen to Gang of Four or something it's not as catchy and I don't like it as much (laughs) but it's you know that the Gang of Four sounds in there or the Black Flag thing it's not quite as catchy no it's like the hooks are a little bit more just like vocalized but the melody in in, in Nirvana was was always the best thing you know there was it was screamed it was there was fuzz there was distortion and there was you know big bold drums being played Mm. but those songs are just straight up pop songs and they're and they're beautiful because of it because that combination of melodic sensibility and and complex though simple songwriting and uh, you know all, all of these variables that made up their sound was it was a it was a new thing at that point oh sure you know we hadn't heard anything like that since punk and punk seemed a little more uh, you know, now in, in looking back at it, punk seemed a little bit more like there was a maybe a, a slight rule book to it. Yeah. Whereas it felt, it always felt like every time you heard a new Nirvana song, like oh, this is just the new expanded version of yeah. the, the rule book that they're making up as yeah. they go along. So you know, we so me and you know the the kids that I learned how to play music with our our entrance into into music into being musicians was with this attitude of freedom of expression and mm. because that was that was something else we used to hear a lot about at that time was you know the, the, the having a free expression this is before that we called it all alt rock or yeah. or indie or anything like that you know, we didn't really have you know grunge or whatever whatever it was seemed like a it always seemed like they even stood against that um, you know it was like they didn't to me they didn't they didn't like fit any of the labels and I don't think it's any surprise that you know I ended up playing in a band that really tries to avoid getting too pigeonholed or too you know stuck in inside of like a, a genre zone right yeah um it's because i mean <laughs> i can talk about all these influences that i have but it really it just it always comes back to these guys because they were so important to me as, as a young musician yeah uh we i even recorded a uh we did like a 
we recorded a, a cover version of Breed that it was it's on release, but it's, it's fucking amazing because <laughs> uh, we only changed a little bit to make it sort of a Baroness song. Otherwise, it's a, it's pretty you know it's kind of straight, but it's, right. it's you know. Uh, it's it's very hard for me to you know even like hide my enthusiasm for like how much I adored this band. Yeah. yeah. And when we were doing our last record, Golden Gray, uh, Gene and I would be like driving around sometimes at night when we were working on things, and whenever you needed, whenever we needed like a shot of like adrenaline, like inspirational adrenaline, you just put on never like never mind, just because every one of the songs kind of has something to it that you're like, oh damn. We think we're doing it well, but we, there's still this. The, you know, this is like this is a goal. You know, it's it's efficient. It's fucking powerful. It's beautiful. It's it's aggressive. It's tortured, but it's you know hopeful. It's all this stuff. And I can't even tell you how many songs are ripped off on this record. <laughs> Just take a chord progression here. You know, pretty much rewrote something in the way once. Uh, I won't give it away, but I did. Um, <laughs> and you know, like I, I've I've feel like I've spent the past 20 years of my life just trying to write a song as good as Drain You. you know, oh, like yeah. That chord yeah. progression and the vocal phrasing, the lyrics, and the performance on that song is just... I mean, how the hell can you not want to do that? No. Or like, you know, when, when I was... when I, I remember when I was... I'm sorry, I'm being real tangential here, but like I no, remember no. when I was a kid and we were like learning Lithium because Lithium's kind of like the hard song. You gotta mm. like palm mute song. Yeah. You gotta play the notes in, in sequence, not just power chords. But when you play the, you know, the main bass line, which you all, if you, if you listen to Lithium bass line, you'll hear like, there's like 10 Baroness songs, like very clearly articulated there. Yeah. Um, but you know, dun, 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 yeah. dun. when you play that, you know, against those, the, like the corporate, the main guitar chord progression of that song, there's like this weird harmonic rhythmic thing that, that like, blossoms out it's 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 impossible it's it would be impossible to recreate i'm sure they didn't even right it wasn't like it's not like it's from a theoretic standpoint it's like yeah. it's beautiful but you know they didn't talk about the theory <laughs> behind it just, no. oh, this sounds cool yeah and it does of course <laughs> love it i think we're yeah. gonna have to wrap it up uh, yep. john thanks yeah. for your time um everyone out there yeah. um baroness uh golden gray out now absolutely as is the whole catalog yeah. uh purple still stands as one of my my greatest albums i love that record I love it as well. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and um, and enjoy the rest of the tour, and we'll see you guys really soon. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Cool. I'm so happy because today from my friends are in my head. I'm so ugly. That's okay because so are you. Sunday morning is every day for all I care And I'm not scared that my candles in our days Cause I found God Yeah!